Good afternoon and welcome to the Vision 2011 What Will It Take debate. My name is Sarah Schultz and I will be the moderator for the debate between the candidates from both the international and domestic parties. Representing the international party will be Dr. Charles Fielding. Dr. Fielding is a family physician with 16 years of medical missions experience. During this time, he and his family have lived in Pakistan, India, Cyprus, Turkey, Jordan, and now Ethiopia. Dr. Fielding is a widely recognized expert in utilizing healthcare strategies to foster church planting. He is also the author of the widely read Preach and Heal. And then Dr. Richard Donlin is representing the domestic party. Dr. Donlin is, a board is board certified in internal medicine and pediatrics. In 1995, Dr. Donlin co-founded Christ Community Health Services, a multi-site network of clinics that provides primary and specialty care in six underserved Memphis neighborhoods. Eight years ago, he and his family moved into the Binghampton community to participate in a church planting ministry. Dr. Donlin is a frequent speaker on medical school campuses. Okay, gentlemen, you uh, previously read the rules and agreed to the following. There will be a series of three questions. You will have five minutes to answer each question. By mutual agreement, there will be no questions regarding your birth certificates or Mormonism. What? Mormonism. 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 Is out. Mormonism. Yeah. <laughs> um, at Dr. Fielding's request, there will be no math problems. <laughs> Dr. Fielding, you have won the backstage coin toss, and you may go first. The question, the first question, is in reference to Matthew 24:14. What will it take for the gospel to reach all nations? You may begin. Uh, can we begin by reading Matthew twenty-four fourteen? Sure. And and this gospel of the kingdom, <laughs> Dr. Donlin. Um, I'm sorry. What are you Marshall What are you doing? Washington. I'm a, I'm a appearing presidential, aren't I? Well, I'm not really sure that that wig is going to help you win this debate, but you did agree to some rules of decorum, so if this does happen again, I will take some time. Sorry away about from that. You. Dr. Fielding, I'm sorry about that. Okay. These pay, people paid money for this. Okay. <laughs> Let's just put this. What sort of doctor are you, Put Dr. the Persian Charles? cat. <laughs> I don't think that's relevant. It's not relevant. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, so you asked me to read the verses? Matthew 24, okay. 14, please. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So you have five minutes. And the question again was, what will it take to realize this vision? Matthew 24:14. And let me remind you again the words of Matthew 24:14 because they're crucial. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Before I answer the question, I want to put that... This, uh, this verse into context because uh, it's, a, it's a specific answer to a specific question. Jesus was with his disciples in Jerusalem. They pointed out all the beautiful buildings and he said, uh, uh, all these stones are going to fall down. So later they were alone on the Mount of Olives and he was just with his disciples. And he said, when, specifically, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And please remember that phrase, end of the age. And Jesus said, this gospel, euangelios in, 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 in uh, Greek, the, that, this good message uh, will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And so what's it going to take is for us to understand uh, that message as a church. And the church, the, 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 the message was given to the church. The disciples were the church. And what I think we are all seeing is that the church has lost its way to some degree. And the, and the church uh, has a different purpose than that. If this is what we need to do to 
hasten the return of Christ to advance the gospel to all nations, why does the church do anything else? Why would we have any other program? Why would we put our, our resources and our time and our, our mental energy into, into doing things for ourselves? If the objective to bring Jesus back is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I think part of the problem is that uh, we don't recognize that we need Jesus to come back. We don't recognize that we're living in a world of a curse. So the church needs to understand its purpose. And uh, that's, that's what I believe it's going to take to come back. Uh, the purpose of the church is to understand uh, what Christ said and to move toward that, uh, uh, that vision that Christ laid out for us. And we can skip ahead to the end of the Bible and find out, well, well what happens when we've done it right and the verse that I like from that is, is Revelation um, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And we've, I love the way that last night's talk corroborated with this. Uh, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language, people and nation. The blood of Christ has paid for people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And yet, for some reason, we're stuck and we're not taking the, the gospel message to those people. So, one of the things I think it's going to take is for us to clarify that vision and for us to clarify some of the terminology that we use commonly as a church. Uh, we use terms like, um, like evangelism, uh, ministry, missions, all great words. Uh, they're all biblical words, except the word missions is only used like one time that Paul and Barnabas returned from their mission. Uh, but it's, the concept is certainly there. And I think what we've done is we've misunderstood some of these, these words. One time I looked up the word missions in the uh, Google, and I got like, when you take a cake next door to your neighbor, you've done missions. And then there was, you know, when you go die as a martyr in Saudi Arabia, you're a, that's missions. And then everything in between. I found about 30 different ideas on missions. And so I spent a lot of time studying that. And I found that we're confused. And so we believe that if I go to my neighbor and I take him a cake and I tell him about Jesus, that I've done missions. And really what I've done is evangelism. When you take the gospel to another person, that's evangelism. That's not missions. Evangelism is communicating the facts of the gospel for non-Christians, whether they've heard it before or not. It's a set of, uh, the gospel is a set of information about salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And communication is the transfer of that information that has the potential to affect change. So when you communicate the gospel, then that's, that's evangelism. But it's not missions. The next one is ministry, and this one gets us more than anything else. We think that when we go down to Mexico and we hammer nails to build houses for people that have been in a hurricane, we're doing missions. We went on a missions trip. Okay, that's not missions. Right? We've done good for other people, and that's ministry. So my definition for ministry is caring for the physical, emotional, or spiritual needs of people. Contrast that against evangelism. Now contrast it against my definition of missions. Missions is establishing the church among ethnic groups who have not previously been evangelized. Missions, when I look at the Bible, when I look at the book of Acts, when I look at Paul, the way Paul operated, when I listen to the Great Commission, <coughs> excuse me, missions is advancing the gospel where it's never been before and establishing a multiplying healthy indigenous church of Jesus Christ. So the gospel can spread throughout that entire region so that, that all nations can know about Jesus. Because after all, his blood, he has purchased men for God by his blood from every tongue, tribe, language, and people. This is my, uh, my answer to what's it going to take to realize Matthew 24, 14. Thank you, Dr. Fielding. Uh, now the question is put to you, Dr. Donlin. Thank you, uh, Dr. Chief, Dr. Fielding, excuse me. 
Uh, it will take the Church of Jesus Christ understanding the agenda of God. And perhaps you've never thought to yourself, does God have an agenda? And the truth is, for centuries past, it was hidden. We didn't exactly know what was happening. The truth of the New Testament is only now, together with the church, God has revealed explicitly what his goals are. Where is God taking history? What is the agenda of God? And I want you to look at a Bible verse. I have actually two from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God made known to us the mystery of his will, that's his agenda, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is what God is doing. That is what he was hiding in the past. That's what the prophets of old longed, according to Peter, to see as the Spirit was speaking to them. We have the blueprint in front of us. Everything visible and invisible, every nation, everything comes under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's uniting all things under that one head, Jesus. I have a photograph I want to show you of a painting from the Middle Ages. The church for centuries has understood that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Those are the three most revolutionary world words in the history of the world. He has been shown with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And if you look again at this picture that was up just a second ago, he is triumphant. He's painted as a king. He has a banner that he's holding in his hand. He's cloaked as a a triumphant ruler. There's a crown on his head, and his foot stands on the grave, which he's defeated, the final enemy, death. The nations will hear when we believe and take to heart that God is bringing all things together under Jesus Christ, who is the rightful Lord of everything. And that means that we will gladly submit ourselves. We will surrender our lives. We will take to heart Paul's admonition in 2 Corinthians. For Christ's love compels us, he says in chapter 5. For we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we will submit everything that we are to his authority. We will surrender ourselves happily to the lordship of the king. We will stop negotiating. Jesus doesn't negotiate. We'll understand that there's a place, a cog. We are a cog in this giant machine of what God is doing, and we'll pray for God to show us what our part is, and then we'll leap into it. That we'll stop putting conditions on our service to God. I'll go here if this, that, or the other. I'll join this group if I have this, that, or the other. I'll think about this if I get this or something. Surrender is what it will take. Lastly, we'll have to live like possums. Can we see that picture, please? If you believe the truth of what God is doing, if you are willing to submit yourselves, ourselves, to this great task of bringing everything visible and invisible under Jesus, we will live the upside-down paradox life of disciples of Jesus. Our parents won't get us. Our friends won't get us. Everything that's true to us will seem crazy to them and vice versa. We'll get to the point where if we want to know what we should do, we could go to people who don't know Jesus and ask them and do exactly the opposite of what they tell us. We'll have to live in very new ways if we're going to fulfill Matthew 24:14. I turn my remaining time over to my semi-competent opponent. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Excuse Donovan. me, i got to get some water. Okay. Uh, we'll move on to the next question for Dr. Fielding. What? Oh, I don't think we should. I don't think we should wait. I don't think we should yeah. wait. I think we should hurry. Okay. <laughs> what is the biblical basis for your party's position? The biblical basis? I want to know what he's doing. <laughs> Dr. Donlin. You know, this is a very serious conversation. Yeah. Uh, Yes, I I know that. (laughs) 
You know, Abe Lincoln really just doesn't fit in here right now. Could you just, just take it off? I'm trying to put my opponent off balance. It's, it's not going to work. <laughs> Please, I need that. You just kind of have to give that to me. No, I mean it. The beard, too. Give me the beard. Right. And, yeah. And there's nothing else? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, because you've done this now for a second time, you will have a minute taken from your International boy went like 10 minutes on his first answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Asia. You know, I, I kind of... <laughs> All right. I just liked doctor, what he had to say. What sort of doctor is she, Chuck? What's the question? She's mean? a surgeon. You told me there were no surgeons who were Christians. That's what you said. <laughs> that, that's very out of line. Okay. I, well I, I think that. To that. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have one minute revoked from your next question. Okay. I'm very sorry, Dr. Felix. I will repeat the question. What's he doing? I will repeat the question. Okay, you please you, repeat the question. And, and then you, you will know, have. I've got to say something before we get going. I, he probably said good stuff while ago. I, I didn't like. I followed so much because I was looking at he's so huge. Have you noticed how big he is compared to us? You're like, like there's seven billion people in the world. You're too much, taking up too much space. I feel like a shrimp next to you. And I kind of like Sarah's like a plankton. This is getting away from you, Dr. Schultz. Yes. Okay, what's the question? Okay, let's move on. I'm jet lagged. I'm virtually a pundit here. I couldn't pass a Glasgow coma scale. What's going on here? Okay. You can can just return to your podium, sir. Is that my podium? This one's mine, right? Yeah, that's that's okay. Right right there. Okay. All right. This will be the second question. Did I mention dementia? (laughs) This will be your second question, Dr. Feeling. And again, you'll have five minutes to respond. Yeah, like last time. <laughs> what is the biblical basis for your party's position? If I go over, like, what are you going to do? Put me in the pokey? Well, we're kind of close to the edge, so just be careful. Sorry. <laughs> what was the question again? Something about the Bible? Okay, I'll, I will repeat it one more time. Yeah, I do. What is the biblical basis for your party's position? The, okay, I heard something about a party. Uh, <laughs> biblical basis for my party's position. I, I'm a missionary. You're, you're the international Yeah, I, I'm a missionary. I, I live in Ethiopia. I was in Sudan five days ago. Uh, I came here just for this conference. I came here just for you guys. Y'all are that important. And um, the biblical, biblical basis for everything that a missionary does is grounded in the Great Commission. So, let's read that. Then Jesus came to them and said, and that was to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the biblical basis for missions. At the end of the day, we, we take a look at what Jesus said to do. And we obey Jesus. If you feel like it, if you don't feel like it, not relevant issues. If you don't feel called, you're wrong. It doesn't matter how you feel, you're called. Go make disciples of all nations. Stop that snickering. I'm a missionary. This is what we say. Empty the pews. Come and help us. There's a lot to be done. The, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, what on earth was I saying, Sarah? Uh, the, the biblical basis lays in the Great Commission for everything that the missionaries do, and that's because Jesus did not go directly to the cross when he came to earth. He stayed here and he trained disciples, spending over three years with them, having them practice certain exercises and activities. And when he felt like he had done a good enough job, he went to the cross. And then when he returned from the cross, he met with those guys that he had trained, and he told them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me now. Therefore... You're mine. I'm giving it to you. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
And don't worry, I'm with you to the very end of the age. We mentioned that word age earlier. Remember, at the, at the very end of the uh, to the very end of the age. And I think uh, I, I'm a little reticent to do this because it sounds a little bizarre. But I think that there are three ages, and this has helped me kind of understand where we are and what we need to do. And the first age was prior to the fall of man. God had created man, and, it was, and man was perfect. And God had a perfect relationship with man and with woman and, and with all the things of the earth. And there was no sin, and there was no disease, and there was no death, and there was no natural disasters. And everything was good. And God loved what he made, and God had a perfect relationship with everything. And I call that the age of relationship. But something happened. Man and woman disobeyed God. They introduced sin into the system. And God literally placed a curse on the earth. When they sinned, God said, Cursed is the earth because of you. All the days of your life you'll, you'll toil to bring food from the ground. That pain and childbirth. He placed a curse on the earth. I, I teach this to Muslims all the time. Good luck removing the curse of God by prayer and fasting and Ramadan and, and zakat and giving to the poor and all these things. You cannot remove the curse of God. The curse of God has been placed on the earth. It's caused natural disasters. It's caused pain in childbirth. It's called, caused disease, death, dying, aging, with which I am rapidly getting familiar. And, but he promised a curse breaker a Messiah that would come and break the curse. And then he promised again through Abraham. He said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations, all the nations. We keep hearing that. All the nations. Pantatai ethne in Greek. All the ethnic groups will be blessed. Through Abraham, how is that possible? Because he, through his seed, Jesus was born. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And Jesus came into the world as a curse breaker. When he died on the cross, he shed out his blood for Pantata Ethne, for all the nations. With his blood, he purchased men for God. He purchased not every human being on the planet. He purchased not every family, not persons from every community. All he said was persons from every ethnic group, every tongue, language, tribe, nation. He poured out his blood for them. He's saving a remnant from every tongue, tribe, language, people. We live in the age of the curse right now. The curse is divided into two halves. Pre-curse breaker arrival, post-curse breaker arrival. Pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. At the end of this, when will the end come? When this gospel of the kingdom has been preached as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. When the end comes, the curse, the death, the, the hell, the abyss, everything will be thrown into the abyss. And a lot of humankind will go as well. And what will remain will be the bride of Christ, purified by his blood. And we will enter into a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm going to call that the age of reunion. So we've got the age of relationship, which is gone. We've got the age of the curse. We're currently in that one. We're in the second half. There's the age of reunion, and it's coming up, and we're waiting for the age of reunion to come. But Jesus is going to be with us to the very end of the age, to the age of the curse. I, th I think it's kind of funny, by the way. We've got one minute, so okay, maybe I've got time to do this. Okay, I, I did it in the shower this morning. Let's see if I can remember it. So there's three ages, and we're in the middle one. And so we're in the Middle Ages. Um, <clears throat> I live in the – I remember – my family's in Ethiopia right now, so uh, sometimes we feel like it's the, Ethi it's the Middle Ages uh, when we travel. So we're in the Middle Ages, and we're in the, uh, the second half of that um, here on Earth. And so we're like in, it's, it, we're in like Middle Earth in the Middle Ages. I thought that was kind of funny at 4 a.m. when I woke up after going to bed at 1 a.m., that's the lack of coherence. Please. Thank you, Dr. Fielding. Uh, Dr. Donlin, and you have one last minute. After that. He, he actually paid me to give I got one more. Time. I got one more verse I want to do. I got one more verse I want to do. Because it reminds me. Because uh, I'm in punishment. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, yeah. 
<laughs> Justifiably. So, uh, the, the whole thing is we're in the age of the curse, and we're stuck here on this planet. And so many times we do not believe that we're in a cursed world. We've got everything. We've got climate-controlled environment. I was sitting there in the hotel room going, ooh, mouthwash, moisturizer, you know, whoa, thermostat, rheostat. It was like so cool. Hot water, showers that actually bring water on your head. It was, this, is like, this is like heaven on earth. We just ate Chick-fil-A. And, and after you clap, I feel guilty for saying this, but all of these things are subtle messages from Satan going, there is no war, there is no curse, sit at home, have fun, game, watch TV, hang out with friends, coast into heaven. Satan doesn't care. You're already in heaven. He can't change that. So coast into heaven. It's all going to be okay. There's a war on. We live in a cursed world. And right now, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. What does the creation wait for? An eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons. It's all about that, getting adopted, getting the sons of God revealed from every tongue, tribe, language, and people. The creation waits in eager expectation. We're living in the age of the curse, and we're waiting in the pains of childbirth. Get back. Go. Just one verse. Better be good. It was a long verse. Okay. The biblical basis for what we do um, is already buried in your heart and your mind. 99% of the people in the room know what I'm about to say. Watch this. Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's it. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us what we should ask God for. And he tells us the first thing we should ask is that the name of God would be hallowed. It would be set apart and honored. That the reputation of the living God would be exalted. That we could live our lives in a way that makes God look great. And as we do that in submission to him, he gives us the great privilege of being part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ coming to earth the way it is in heaven. He has all power and authority in heaven and earth. Chuck shared that with us just now. We are secret agents of the king. The Bible is the story about a king who is righteous and glorious and has made all things and who faces rebellion of angels and men and instead of crushing his enemies, reaches out and rescues his enemies. A king who became flesh and dwelt among us. A king who has broken into history such that the central event of everything that's ever happened in this world is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before it, we were without hope and without God in the world. And with it, we are with the winner. It is our job, our joy, to embrace what the king wants us to do. To incrementally now bring the values, the justice, the things of the reign of Jesus to earth. We're not utopians. We don't believe that we're going to bring perfection here. But we believe that the kingdom has come and is yet to come. This is the act of the Bible between Jesus' appearance for the first time, his appearance and culmination of all things at the second time. And we get to advance the king's kingdom. That's the biblical basis for what we do. My worthy opponent loves the New Testament. He has trouble reading period, but also the Old Testament. Okay. And I want us to quickly look in my last minute at Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a messianic psalm. The Jews of old, the Jews of now, Christian people for centuries have understood this to be a description of the rule of the king. And like all things in the Bible, it has multiple meanings. It was about David and Solomon, but it's about Jesus. It's about then and it's about now. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May may he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. This is Jesus Christ. The next verse is, go to my opponent. Let's go there. May he rule from sea to sea. He is the 
the Lord of all nations. From the river to the ends of the earth, may the desert tribes bow before him. May it be so. Right? Amen to that. May the kings of Tarshish and distant land shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. He is the God of the nations. Chuck can't stand it that any of us are sitting here. We should all be in the 1040 window right now. You think Amen. That okay. But there's more to what the king does. Let's go quickly to the next session. You've already, the section. You've already heard this. Jesus Christ, the king, whose values that we are to advance in the world, delivers the needy who cry out, the afflicted ones who have no one to help. He takes pity on the weak and the needy and saves the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Christian people should be at the forefront of fighting human trafficking, of protecting unborn life, of reaching to the sickest and the neediest people, and bringing that value of the king to the world around us, demonstrating with an apologetic of action that we believe the truth. Yes, we want to share the gospel with all people. Yes, we want to go to the ends of the earth. But we do it by loving and serving our neighbors and taking injustice on in the name of our great king. It's not one or the other. Let's finish the psalm. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, through him and they will call him blessed. Read these last two verses with me if you can see them. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Okay, thank you, Dr. Donlin. And then for the third question, I'll put it to you, Dr. Fielding. What are your specific policy recommendations? I thought big people were dumb. All right, five minutes. (laughs) And I was right. Yes? I need that. Sorry. You can put it all on. I will cut you. I believe that. I believe that. (laughs) She was so bad. Y'all know she's a surgeon, right? She's not kidding. She's like packing scalpels right now. (laughs) All right. Dr. Fielding, you do have five minutes. Be afraid. Okay, what are we doing? What was it with the question? Specific policies yeah. uh, related to effect, in my case, reflect, uh, related to affecting a change in the church so that they will realize the end goal of, of a remnant saved from every tongue, tribe, people, and language. That's called the church of Jesus Christ. We're, we're there to complete the church. And in Revelations 19, it says, Behold, the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. We're the bride. We make ourselves ready by bringing in that remnant from every tongue, tribe, language, people. What kind of policies do we need to implement to affect this kind of change? Heck if I know. I didn't think we'd ever get this far. <laughs> the first thing I think has to do with, with communicating the message to the church. Uh, Will said it. Several people have said this is a new generation. I, I've never seen anything like this in, in 15-plus years in missions, people get it better than ever before. You guys get it better than ever before. I would not have left my wife and kids if I didn't think some of y'all would get it and come. And, and that's exciting. We, you guys have got the potential to change the planet. But messaging is very important. We have to communicate with the church so that the church becomes the church and takes disciples, builds them into apostles, sends them to the nations. We redeem that remnant from all the nations. We complete the church. We get the curse over with. We go home. No longer will there be any curse. I'm not exactly sure how to message it. Uh, the Old Testament talks about, uh, you know, 
write it on the doorpost, tell it to your children. I'm telling you, if you got to have it tattooed on your dominant arm, complete the church. Win the nations on your non-dominant arm. We we're, we got a, uh, if I mean, come on, we're enacting policies and we're making them up as we go. Why don't we say uh, we're not allowed to have any Christian music that doesn't that, that, that talks about having a sweet and happy life in America? And and why don't we push suffering and martyrdom and and being a real disciple? Uh, stepping out in faith and doing something upside down and crazy that your your mom and your pastor will tell you not to do, which has happened commonly with us. Uh, the church should not be allowed to preach feel-good messages. We have to tear down every building and get and save the money from every utility bill, and we need to become an organic. I'm dreaming. <laughs> I'm having fun. <laughs> Who the heck are you guys? <laughs> I thought I was asleep. <laughs> we need... You like that one, huh? Just struck me. This is not a dream, is it? Uh, we got to be the church. we got to quit playing church. we got to quit doing church. we got to quit going to church. You can't go to church. You can't do church. I hate it when people say, okay, I'll see you after church. It's like, you mean after we all die? And, and I love it with my kids. I get my kids so trained. When we're in America, a pastor will say, well, I'll meet you at the church. And both my kids go, building. <clears throat> I'm not lying. They do it all the time. They whisper it. I, I did start it when they were about four, and it just got worse. You can't go to church. Church is not a place. You can't do church. You can't have church. Church is not an event. You can only be church. And church needs to complete itself. We have to get the message out. We have to get it out loud and clear. I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Uh, but I believe it's a matter of, of having a clear message and voicing it loud. And you guys are getting it. And this generation's getting it. The second thing we need to do is we need to redeploy our resources. You're not going to believe this, but statistically, right now, the, the, rela- the ratio between born-again evangelicals and people who have never heard the gospel is the lowest that has ever been in history. It's like one in ten. How long would it take you to witness to ten people? Oh, by the way, nowhere does it say everybody on earth will hear the gospel. So you don't have to say do all ten. How long would it take you to do ten people? If we efficiently and wisely and appropriately redeployed our evangelical resources of prayer and finances and people... We could reach the nations in a long weekend. And that's not hyperbole. We have to redeploy our troops. We have to push them away from the Western Hemisphere and only to the places where the gospel has never been before. Mauritania, the Sahara, Chad, Sudan, Libya, the Arabian Peninsula, Central Asia, South Asia... We've got to know where we're going, and we've got to get serious about it. We've got to go to it. Thank you. No charge. Well, I was going to suggest tattoos, but my opponent beat me to that. Um, Jason, can we see the slide? Uh, my first proposal to you is mostly serious. No Bible, no breakfast. Okay. Those are lucky charms. That's what Irish people have for breakfast all the time. <laughs> hope you like them. I mean this. The Bible is everything. It's one of the most frightening trends in the newest generation of disciples that they're full of passion, but they're less biblically literate than the people before them. You've got to love the Bible, people. It is a training manual. It is a comfort. It is the primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and teaches us and leads us. It is as if God every morning will meet you and have a conversation with you. It's hard to read sometimes. There are parts of it that are befuddling. There are parts of it that are only slightly less interesting than an index of people who live in a country you've never heard of. Before you do anything, maybe you don't eat breakfast, before your coffee, wow, that's saying something, right? The Bible, 
We all need to read it. We need to love it. We need to speak it to each other. We need to memorize it and, and meditate on it and see it for what it is, the, the answer of what God is doing for us. That's my first policy suggestion to you. If you're not presently loving and studying your Bible, pray that God would do that in your heart. Ask people to help you do that. My second suggestion, again aimed at a younger generation, if we could see that slide please, is break the addiction. Young man, let me just take out a stick and whoop your butts. Gaming, really? Do we really have time to sit around for hours and play video games? Mortal Kombat 62? Some guy named Jorge in some other city. Oh, come on. Get into a 12-step program. (laughs) It's affected older people. My wife said to me the other morning as I woke up and as I was heading to the bathroom, I stopped to check my phone to see if I'd had any emails over the night. Facebook. Wow, Facebook. We'll have to have quiet time to hear from God. We have to turn off the noise, right? Are there places for these things? Yes, but we have to make them our slave. We can't let them be our master. If you're not reading your Bible, but you're checking Facebook a lot, that's not balance. If indeed God is moving in a generation of new disciples, we'll have to have some seriousness about ourselves. We'll have to have balance. And my last policy suggestion, I'm going to back up to my podium so I can see my pictures. Jason, if we could have, do something courageous, do something in obedience, and do it now. Do something courageous, do something in obedience, and do it now. Courage, I tell my children, is not the absence of fear. You can't be courageous if you're not afraid. Courage is doing the thing that you're afraid of in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've never had to be courageous, you should ask yourself about your faithfulness. What is it that's kind of a frightening thing to you? What is it that's your step out of the comfort zone now that you need to think about doing? And not waiting. So many of us think, oh, when I finally get through all of my training, that's when I'm going to give money. That's when I'm going to really be obedient. We need to be learning and growing these things now. I want to show you some examples. First are my friends, Dave and Grace Huber, if we can show their pictures. They live in a place called Riverside, California. Don't let let that um, fool you, the name Riverside, California. The part of that city that they've moved into is the legitimate hood. I've been there with them. I met them at Loma Linda as I was speaking earlier this year, and they were about to get married. And they said to me, we've been getting advice from our church that we should not move into this inner city community the first year of our marriage because the Bible says the first year you should... Do nothing except please your wife. What do you think about that, Rick? I tried to imagine how if I've ever been able to please my wife at all. (laughs) I asked him, are you going to quit medical school for a year? I'd be as supportive of this if you were about to join the military and be deployed. Maybe that's a point. But why not think the other way? Why not you and Grace kiss each other on the mouth and jump into ministry together from the very beginning? Why not have the earliest parts of your marriage be times of obedience? And they did it. And they've had difficult times. They've faced crime. They've had problems with threats from people. But they're persevering. They're beginning to meet their neighbors. And others are beginning to move in with them. They did what they were worried about, what they were afraid about, even at a particular difficult time or or crucial time. The second person I want to point out to you is my friend Stephen Euler, Dr. Stephen Euler. We've got a picture of him. It's a very cool picture. That is the lower ninth ward of New Orleans. That's the part of New Orleans that was 11 feet underwater. Before the storm, it was a difficult place. It's even worse now. Stephen has moved there. But that wasn't the first thing he did. The first thing he did was many years ago as a medical student, 
in, New, in Memphis, he moved into the inner city with us. And when he was a resident and did his training in other places, Dayton, Ohio, he moved into the inner city there. And he learned how to do church. And he learned how to reach out to his neighbors. And in the course of his training, not when he was through, in the course of his training, he sought to be obedient. And now he's set up to be the first physician in a new Christian health center in perhaps the neediest part of our country, one of them. Do something that makes you afraid. Do it in obedience and do it now. Okay. Uh, now you have your closing statement. Um, while Rick is talking, I was thinking about the, the stuff that we're asking you to do, and it's, it's not easy and it's not safe, but it's right. And the other thing that strikes me is you know, why isn't it happening? And remember the upside-down picture? That's, that's like everything. Because all the stuff that Jesus asked you to do is like logic on its side or upside-down or whacked-out or whatever you young people say these days. <coughs> Groovy? No. Uh, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard and dangerous stuff. And it goes against your, your natural impulses. Our impulse is to gather together and to protect ourselves and have fun together. I call this the Tower of Babel phenomenon. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them to multiply and subdue the earth. Later, he destroyed the earth by water. He saved Noah and Noah's family. And right after the flood, he told them, again, multiply, spread out, subdue the earth, the entire earth. Right after that, it says they gathered together in a place called Babel. They were experts at making brick. They began to build a big building to make a name for themselves. The sin of Babel was not that they built a building that's going to reach up to heaven. God's not really threatened by a little mud ziggurat building. Uh, The sin of Babel was, he said to go out and spread out and subdue the earth. Next verse, so they gathered together. Can you believe that? So they gathered together. And then Jesus tells us, go. They send you out like lambs among wolves. Guys, I live in the Middle East. I just moved from the Middle East. And there's sheep everywhere. And lambs are baby sheep. And they gather together in big groups. And your, your best way to stay safe is to stay in the middle. So if the wolf comes, they'd have to eat a lot of sheep to get to you. Okay? Lambs are going straight to the middle. These are little wolf snacks. Jesus said, Go. I send you out like lambs among wolves. It doesn't make sense. Logically, it's crazy. It is dangerous. Don't fall into the Tower of Babel phenomenon of all gathering together so we can make a name for ourselves. Go. Make a name for Jesus Christ. It's going to be hard. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be dangerous. There's going to be suffering. It's right. It's right. It's right. Jesus paid for you with his blood. You are not your own. And it's also it's full of joy. It's, it's the greatest thing you can do for yourself, for your spiritual life, for your marriage, for your kids. In my experience, I'm speaking from my experience, when you go and give it all, give it all up, Jesus repays you back a hundred times. But you don't get the reef return if you don't make the investment of your life for Jesus Christ. We're just about finished. Um, If you still have it, you can maybe try to fish out this card that you were given in your package when you started. If you don't have it, it's okay. We've got some stacks of them. We'll move them around the stage here in a minute. Many people have prayed for you um, this whirlwind last two days that you've been through, people have fasted and especially have asked that the Holy Spirit would direct this meeting this year. I was talking with Will just before we started today, and um, I asked him, because it seems to me this is the largest I've come many years, and he said this. He said, I'm not sure it's the largest, but it feels like it was the most spirit-led. And I hope that's true. I believe it's true because we prayed it. 
I think that the Holy Spirit gave us certain themes that you heard repeated from this stage and also many times in the breakout sessions. King's Pride talked to us about the necessity of bringing together healing and and evangelism ministry together, how they, they have to come together. And he also talked to us about taking missions to a, a multiplicative level, to level two. Gil, yesterday morning, spoke to us about tearing down old paradigms that don't work if they don't work. About being honest about evaluating what we're doing and being willing to change and surrendering not 10%, but all. Nathan Cook last night reminded us that the church is not in a defensive posture, but an offensive posture. That Jesus Christ calls people to go tear down the gates of hell, to bring freedom to people who are presently in bondage. That there is a usurper, a false king, a false ruler, who is already defeated by Jesus' resurrection and whose complete defeat is certain. And our job is to be the army of Jesus, the church of Jesus, Advancing triumphant. We've heard themes about suffering, about courage. The Holy Spirit spoken to everybody in different ways. Please now reflect for just a few minutes about what the Holy Spirit may have been teaching you in these last couple of days. This card is not um, very directive. We want you to put something on this card that sums up your experiences here, and I want you to know that the people of this church Sunday are going to pray over what you write on these cards. And then later in the year, they're actually going to mail it back to you if you put your address on it. We are not and should not call everyone in this room to make a heartfelt commitment to international missions now. Some of you are ready for that, and you should do that. Others need to grow in obedience and faithfulness. Maybe what you write on the card is that you're going to study your Bible more. You're going to pray about something that you can do that makes you scared now, but is obedient. Whatever it is that God has been saying to you through your interaction with speakers and others at this conference, reflect on that now. And when you're ready... Come get a card or come up forward here. There's a giant map behind me. If you're being led to a particular part of the world, you can put your card on that place or you can put it anywhere around the edges. Let God decide where to put your card. Let's reflect for a couple minutes and then come up.